Hey everyone, and uh, welcome to this episode of the All the Things ADHD podcast. All the things. Yeah, you're. It's funny. It's funny. I'm gonna have to get have a to different microphone. That. I know. I'm just gonna it's... have to get a new microphone, and it's gonna be like the only thing I need it for is yeah. for my once per episode hilarious wailing, not getting sound corrected by my Apple earbuds. <laughs> So let's have a grant that will pay for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Or you can just write it off. I just, I've just been writing this all off on my taxes. So I was like, bought a microphone. That's a business business expense. Business expense. Um, yeah. AirPod Pros business expense. Well, you know uh, what the business is, Lee. It's telling everybody our business. Yeah, that's that's oh, pretty much our business. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Lee Scaler at Bassett. And I'm another one of your co-hosts, Amy Morrison, and we're yeah. so happy to be here. We are very happy to be here. Um, so we spent the last two episodes talking about largely, although ADHD, so there were some digressions, obviously, uh, talking about food and eating. Um, and we mentioned that we wanted to get into moving and exercise uh, and we didn't get a chance. So we thought that this would be a good chance to start talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's for me, I, I struggle. We, you know, we talked a, bit, a little bit about this when it comes to transitions, yes. right? That like the idea of, I, you know, once I'm in the water and swimming, I'm actually pretty happy doing it. But the, t- the, the, the steps it takes to get ready to swim and yes. then the the thought of then getting out of the water and oh I'm gonna have wet hair and oh I'm gonna have to take off a wet speedo bathing suit which if you've ever done that is not the funnest it's thing in the world both and difficult and humiliating somehow yeah and and then and then oh I'm gonna have to try and put on my bra when I'm still sort yeah. of wet wet <laughs> and all you all you male listeners you have no idea what the, the struggle is so real with that it is like so it's because it's supposed to be tight right. Yeah. But you can't like, and you can't do it up behind you usually. So you have to put it in front of you and do it up and then spin it around. Yeah. Then, like, or even worse, the sports bras that you have to like pull, over, pull over your, your head, head. And because it's yeah. wet, they get all tangled. Yeah, there's up. nothing. It rolls up on the way down and now yeah. you're like, help me. Yeah. You're like stuck. stuck. It's like, it's just all, all the, all the ladies are nodding and all the guys are like, we don't understand anything about this. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, that's okay. But, but yeah, so all of those sorts of transitions and remember my, my difficult transition was about the running bra, right? It was about yeah. trying to get my running clothes on because they're not the same as my street clothes. And yeah. some of those clothes are tight and difficult to put on. And I'm like, yeah, ah, can spend half an hour trying to motivate myself to spend 10 minutes putting my clothes on to go for a 20 minute run. Yeah. yeah. So, transition. Yeah, exactly. so we started thinking about movement in the yeah. ways that we resist movement practices that we enjoy because the barriers to starting them are just too high. Yeah. Yeah. If I could just put on my swimsuit first thing in the morning, like when I, when I was a kid, right? In the summers, you put on your swimsuit first thing in the morning, you That's wore right. it all day and you took it off when you went to bed at night. And that was, that was it. Like it was I just, you spent all day. I don't think you're telling the whole story, Lee. It's essentially put your bathing suit on the day after school ends and yeah. take it off Labor Day. Okay. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Stage up at this day in Quebec. That was the official start of summer, June 24th. And then, yeah, you pretty much took it off Labor Day. And that was, that was the end of it. Like it was a t-shirt on for formal, like come in for supper. Okay. Put a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll put shorts on, but of course, why do we move? Why do we move Lee? What is it about movement? Why are we talking about movement on an ADHD podcast? 
Well, in a lot of cases, like one of the one of the things about ADHD is that we never for certain types of ADHD, you never are you never really stop moving. That's right. Right. Like you're always sort of moving. Like I'm again, I'm picking as we're doing this or we're tapping or we're like we're fidgeting, but it's like constant movement. Is it a kind of hyperactivity? It is a kind of hyperactivity. <laughs> there it is oh. in the name of the disorder, right? <laughs> attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder or like yeah. attention deficit and or hyperactivity disorder, right? So the classical, the, the sort of classical image that comes to mind for people like who haven't given the matter much thought is like small boys, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who can't stop moving, right? Mm-hmm. Bouncing off the walls, right? Kicking mm-hmm. things, accidentally destructive, you know, taking risks on the bike and, you know, riding into trees, jumping off the garage roof just for the hell of it, right? So the, the kind of the classical stereotypical image of ADHD um, is of a childhood disorder that attaches to boys who cannot be made to sit still. So there is yeah. some way in which the movement patterns that we associate with ADHD are always already pathologized. So we yeah. move too much, let's yeah. say. That many children um, who are flagged for diagnosis um, tend to be the hyperactive type and they tend to, um, it is their patterns of movement being deemed by others to be excessive that flag them for uh, diagnosis and treatment because their movement is deemed to be too much, right? It is yeah. disruptive to others. They it's cannot the wrong kind of movement. It's too much movement. It's the wrong kind of movement at the wrong time and it's not controllable, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but why, Lee, do those children move so much? Because we have to. It's just like, it, it's true. You can't control it. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it really is, um, you know, the the idea I saw, um, I saw a meme and it was basically about kids, but it was sort of like how kids sit. And it was pictures of kids doing everything with a chair except sitting on it. Right. Right. Properly right. with your, you yes. know, back straight, you know, yeah. um, hips all the way to the back, feet on the floor, mm-hmm. arms mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and you just it. But it's uncomfortable. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that that's the other thing that that comes through is this is just not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. this very much discomfort. We talked about, you know, um, what was the word that I love so much? And I always forget being I know. the one with our body awareness. Oh, there's oh, proprioception. That yeah. One? Proprioception is yeah. it's. Um, I, I'm never comfortable. Right. Right. I'm never comfortable. So you have to shift. So you have a feeling of dis-ease in your body. Something is pressing in a weird way, or your elbow feels too bony on the arm of the chair, or something is poking in your back. Or when you sit like this, your belt digs into your stomach. And so you're always trying to shift your body around. Um, to find a position that's more comfortable. And I think actually that's very common with ADHD people. It's part of the sensory issues. And it is, I think you're right, part of a a proprioception difficulties that we're never quite sure (laughs) where our bodies um, exist in space. And we always have a vague sense of unease um, or discomfort from that that requires constant shifting, right? But another reason that these um, kids move around so much um, is because it is a self-regulatory behavior. It looks like a lack of control to adults um, who are witnessing this and flagging this child for diagnosis, but the child who cannot stop moving feels better when they are moving than they do when they are not, right? Yeah. Um, You know, the child 
like who has to like bounce their legs up and down or who likes to sit on an exercise ball instead of a chair at school says like, I can't do math unless I'm like kind of also bouncing, right? Um, that's sort of a similar thing to like people who, you know, can't focus at a meeting unless they're also doodling at the same time, right? It is a way of managing a kind of um, excess of attention by directing some of it to something else, right? Yeah. Or too much energy um, and you can't turn that entire bit of energy towards the thing that people want you to. So you have to turn a bit of it elsewhere. Otherwise you're just going to explode, right? So yeah. in the same way that autistic people in, engage in um, stim behavior, right? Like the hand flapping or the rocking or the noise making or the chirping um, or the tapping or whatever it is that they do. It's a way of achieving both bodily, um, cognitive and emotional self-regulation, right? These are yeah. behaviors um, that look pathological <laughs> to neurotypical people, but are actually self-care strategies, right? Yeah. For neurodivergent people. So there are certain ways in which our patterns of movement are ways that we treat um, our own neurological dysfunctions, right? So we should probably say that first, that many ADHD people move all the time in ways that don't look like exercise and that look yeah. irritating to other people. They don't look like wellness and they don't look like <laughs> self-care. They look like you're not paying attention yeah. or like if you don't stop whacking that pen against the desk, I'm going to punch you in the face, right? Can't you just sit still? And the answer is no, right? No. So no. movement um, and cognitive function are deeply linked and emotional regulation are deeply linked for people with ADHD. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense. It's, mm -hmm. And like it really is this idea. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm inattentive. And so I fidget and I'm always moving, but not in that kind of hyperactive stereotypical mm -hmm. way that we think of. And I think that that's, um, and I've I, like, my son was never like, he's not the hyperactive ADHD, right? Mm -hmm. He's totally inattentive. And so, you know, we were having challenges with him, but it was never a question of, um, you know, when, when we got the ADHD diagnosis or it was suggested to us ADHD, you know, we were all like, no, that's not possible. And I even, right. uh, I'm, I'm mentioning him, but I, I have a, a friend who's been recently diagnosed finally. Um, and, and I largely think he wasn't diagnosed because a, it's he, and it wasn't hyperactive, right? right. Um, it was inattentive, mm -hmm. uh, and presented more like, a that we stereotypically think or, or typically think yeah, of a, of a, of a girl, right. Or yeah. female or whatever. Um, so there is, there is this, and, and I think that there's, um, you know, so you have the, the two sides of that. And then, so what kinds of, I mean, other than the activities that we kind of do as, as self-care and that movement that we do as self-care, even if it drives everybody else insane or distracts the rest of the class, which is problematic, not, not gonna lie. Um, because you, you also have the students who are neurotypical and it's like, this person is very distracting. Oh, absolutely. Like, right. Like I recognize people's need to fidget, but I also recognize my need to sit in front of them so that I cannot see them fidgeting. Yeah. Right. Because otherwise yeah. I can't focus on anything. Yeah. Um, that's called mutual and, accommodation. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and also like just a, like a self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there's just sort of the, the, the idea of, of being more aware. And I think that that's one thing that the ADHD diagnosis has done for me is just made me more aware of these things. Right. Yeah. Where, um, you know, if, if I, I know that my fidgeting is probably going to bother person X, so right. I'm going to make sure that I don't sit next to them. Right. Or, you know, I know that this person for whatever reason, I don't know why also sits there and fidgets. And so I'm going to sit over there with them 
you know, because we're just going to, you know, fidget or doodle in our own way together or, yeah. and, and not bother each other because we're focusing on our stuff. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's being more observant of those kinds of things in, in everyday situations. Yeah. So those are the movements that, that we may be prey to um, because of our neurological difference um, that are movements that we have to make in the course of doing other things in order so that we can do those other things. And they are movements that maybe neurotypical people do not need to make yeah. in, in the process of doing those things that we are sort of sharing a task together, right? Um, and so there are other ways um, that we can, can use movement, right? So I wanted to flag that first one as being like, you know, uh, we move because that's part of the disorder, right? Yeah. <laughs> because this, this business about the proprioception and the kind of regulation of attention um, and the self-stimulatory behaviors, either to rid yourself of an excess kind of energy, or it's like literally self-stimulating in the sense of like, I'm just going to keep fidgeting because that way I'm going to stay awake, right? Yeah. While I'm doing this. Yeah. Uh, so to, to build energy, right? So um, movement in the sort of course of everyday life, that's, that's part of your self-regulation strategy. Other types of movement, it would be like organized sports, right? Or going for walks or having a, a, like a, one of those treadmills that you put at your desk that you can type oh, out yeah. while you're walking or, you know, other types of, of patterns of movement. Some of the movements that we, we might engage in that allow us to rid ourselves of kind of buildup of anxious energy, like, you know, playing sports or my husband has a um, has a, a heavy bag in the basement and he does mm. his walking workouts every day that I have to put like, he's in the basement and I'm two floors up from him, but I still have to put my noise canceling headphones on because he hits <laughs> that bag so hard that it's scary. I, it sounds like somebody is trying to demolish my house from the basement <laughs> up. Right. Um, and I do yoga, which is like sort of yeah. the opposite. I'm trying to forge a mind body connection that takes my nervous energy and shifts it down into yeah. something grounded. Quieter. Right. Um, So movement, I think, can be really important, not just as a sort of like thing that you do while you're doing the thing you don't want to do, but as a practice that um, that you can and many of us do engage in as an activity unto itself that does have either pleasures in and of itself or that produces a benefit that helps us manage our disorder. Like I walk a lot. I walk probably my step count usually does not go below 12,000 a day. And it's often... 12 to 15,000. I mean, I will say I have a lot of geographical privilege here because I live at the confluence of three urban trails uh, on former rail lines, right? So it's like just a a multi-use like pedestrian bicycle, skateboard, baby carriage path Mm -hmm. with trees all over the place. It gets very pleasant. I'm I'm not walking alongside like, you know, a a giant urban route or something. So it's very easy for me to get outside and walk. Um, But if I don't, I can't think straight honestly, right? Um, And I run because um, that rhythmic pattern um, of moving my limbs until I get tired, but it's a very sort of metronomic Mm -hmm. sort of beat helps calm my anxiety. I don't think it would be fun for me to go downstairs and do a boxing workout, (laughs) right? That's not the, my joints probably can't handle that. I would dislocate something and get injured. Oh gosh, Um, yes. (laughs) Very anxious and it would trigger my fight or flight response. So I have found some movements right? Um, that I enjoy intrinsically. I'm in an environment where I can engage in them, but which do help me sleep better at night, yeah. which do reduce my sort of ambient level of anxiety. Not when I'm trying to pay the bills, right? Then I'm fidgeting. But you know, yeah. before I sit down to pay the bills, I'm already kind of calm because I've done a five kilometer walk first thing in the morning that looped around to Starbucks to get my coffee after, Yeah. right? So what are your st- some of your movement patterns that you sort of enjoy for themselves, but which have I- a benefit? I honestly don't have any right now. 
Like it's no, it is so bad because so I, you know, I was, we were talking about transitions and here's the other thing. And I don't know if this is just because of like a sensory thing, or if this is because I swam for way too many years, I don't like to sweat. Mm. I really don't like to sweat. Like I don't like being sticky. Right. Um, you know, when I sleep, I cannot have any piece of my skin touch another piece of my skin because they'll sweat and stick and I can't, it's distracting and I can't take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so like I'll, I'll walk the dog at night and this is also, you know, we, we've sort of, you know, the, the dog is technically the kid's dogs. And so this is the, the part of their responsibility is that they're supposed to walk the dog. Right. So I, I've gotten out of it, but now that my daughter had surgery on her ankle, so she can't walk the dog. So I've started walking the dog in the evenings again. Um, and that's been nice. And I coach mm-hmm. swimming three times a week. Uh, and I mean, but you're not in the pool. Please. No, no, but <laughs> I did do, you know, on my Apple watch, I did do it as exercise. Like I I started, it doesn't read it as exercise because I'm not really going that fast, but I do walk up and down the pool because I'm coaching, I'm coaching the younger kids where you're giving them feedback after every lap or every two laps and you're walking and watching them as they go. And you have to like, you know, stay on the wall, stay on the wall, stay on the wall. You have to like... (laughs) It's a lot of coaching, um, a lot of coaching where you have to be there and it's a loud pool. And while I can yell, I'd rather just be in front of them. And so I did it and I'm at the pool usually for two to two and a half hours. And on a really good day where I'm going or good day, well, on a day where I'm doing a lot, I end up walking two miles. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went, I, I ended up walking two miles, um, but it's over two hours and it's sort of back and forth and it's not high impact. And it's not, you know, my, I'm not breathing heavily. My, my heart rate doesn't really go up, but I do get a good one and a half to two miles. in usually, well, that's something. Um, yeah, right. no, it is. It's something. And, and what I've now that I'm reflecting on it is that I like doing that because I am exercising and doing something. Right. If you I were are... to just walk, I would be like you going to Starbucks. I'm like, yes, I wish I had a Starbucks that wasn't directly across the street and only took me 50 steps to get to. Uh, um, Starbucks is like that though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it's a, it's a Starbucks that's in a, in a um, grocery store. So there's right. only one poor person working in there and right. it takes like three hours for them to get your order. Cause it's well-meaning, but like they're mm-hmm. only one person and they're trying to take orders and make orders and right. anyway, but, but like if I had some place to walk, like I biked everywhere when I was growing up, when mm-hmm, I, you know, grew too. up in the suburbs, could bike everywhere. Yeah. I, I biked everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really just go on a bike ride. No, you can't. Right. You and, were, right. Yeah. Um, not, but, but even if I lived in a place like that, like I just like, okay, well, where am I going? Why am I doing right. this bike ride? Like there's gotta be some sort of other purpose than to just be like, because you're going on a bike ride. In the before times I used to ride my bike to work. Yeah. And, and for a while I was close enough to work, um, where I did ride the bike for about two years, I was able to ride my bike to work. Um, and then like when we lived with it, we always tried to live within walking distance of where we worked. And so I would walk to work every day. And now Mm -hmm. where we live, that's just not possible. Yeah. Um, and biking to work, I would, oh my gosh, I would not bike on these with 
Northern Virginia, no. DC driver is not a chance. The smog um, and some the people do, but that's not traffic. me. Yeah. That's yeah. not me either. Like when I bike to work again, it's all on trails. Like I think I have to cross one street, right? mm. but otherwise it's all on like multi-use recreational trails. Um, and yeah. again, that's a tremendous amount of, of geographical privilege. So like we're seeing a distinction right now between the things that you do and the things that I do. So it's very easy for me um, to hit like 12 to 15,000 steps a day very pleasantly because um, I don't have to commute anywhere by car. I'm not going anywhere by car. I yeah. um, live at the confluence of several trails uh, and I have a destination that's lightly far enough away that I will go um, and do it. And also things that like to go to the store, I will do that on my bicycle because it's easier than trying to get parking, right? So there, there are fewer barriers in my day that would prevent me from doing that kind of like um, healthful activity, a walking movement activity. That's not like, I don't need to change my outfit to put on like a sports bra or wear yeah. a specific pair of shoes or put elbow pads on or anything. I can just walk out the front door of my house and either like cycle somewhere. It's not that far, or I can go for yeah. a walk as far as I want to make it. You don't have that many opportunities in your environment or your day no. to do that. And that's one of the things I think that, that, culture at large fails to take into account when it's always pushing like you should get a Fitbit and walk 10,000 steps a day because for some people the things that they have to do require them to drive places which also takes up a lot of time and also yep. they live in neighborhoods where which are not so pleasant to walk in or they're like I'm not just going to go walk around for the sake of walking around I would like to have somewhere to walk to but there's nothing <laughs> to walk to that they want to do right and so like that's true of everybody, but like what's particularly true for our neurodivergent listeners is that um, movement activities that take a lot of planning, ah, yeah, we don't want to do. Like it's yeah. too hard. Right? It's too, too many steps. It's too, too many, many steps. steps. Like yeah. it's it's okay. Now I have to get dressed, and then I have to get in the car, and then I have to get to the place, and then I have to get out of the car, and then I got to get on the like, you know, as opposed to just if I could just walk out the door. Yeah, you know. And yeah, and I, I live in I live in a nice complex where you can you can do a nice loop. It's probably about a half mile, uh, maybe oh a quarter God. mile. I don't know. I should measure it one of these days. But again, it's like after I do it twice, I'm like, now you're just going in circles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Now we're just going in circles. Yeah. Um, and so, but. I'm hoping. And so like, so the coaching, I always usually say like coaching is really good. Like I said, because it's not just the walking, right. I am engaged. I'm engaged on multiple levels. I'm physically engaged because I'm standing up, I'm walking around, but I'm also mentally engaged because I'm watching kids swim. I'm making sure that everyone's safe. I'm trying to come up with practices and drills for them to do. I'm reacting in that moment to like who is there and what's going on. So there's, there's a lot of that, um, other activity, right? It's a so kind it's of holistic not... experience for you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think, and I talked about this before, how swimming now is really difficult for me because I get so bored. Yes. Because I always, I mean, as much as swimming was an individual sport, right? You compete as an individual. Growing up, you train on a team. Yeah. Right? So it's not just about I'm going to go in and work really hard. I get to go see my friends. We get to talk. We get to like hang out before and after practice, which makes the transitions easier. Right. Yeah. Where, um, you know, if you get really good at telling stories in five second snippets as you that's like right. sit on the wall yeah. for the five seconds during yeah. breaks. And, that's and right. so there was, there was always other things to do. And there's also a lot of other things to kind of, in my mind, to, to keep track of. Right. Um, 
what pace do I need to go figuring out all the intervals? What order do we need to go in? What pace do I have to keep? What happens if so-and-so? And I also have to like, you know, cause we were swimming like seven kids a lane. So you always right. had to be careful everyone behind you as you're crossing people, the people next to you in the lane. So you didn't bash arms right. and get kicked. So there was a lot of other things going on that like my brain had to pay attention to on top of, you know, arm, 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 arm kick, arm, kick, leg, kick, leg. Yeah. you know, like, leg, 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 breathe, breathe, you know, one, yeah. two, three, breathe, one, two, three, breathe, one, two, three, breathe. Um, yeah. There's a lot of other stuff that you really right. had to, had to be engaged with. And then just for me to get in the pool by myself, I'm like, stroke, stroke, breathe, stroke, stroke, stroke breathe, breathe, stroke, Am I done stroke. yet? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, so that's it. Like I can't, yeah. you know, um, and so that I think for me, a lot of the times is that there's, there's a social aspect to it that I really miss. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, because of my coaching, I don't have time to join a master swim team because when a master swim team right. would be taking place is when I'm coaching, you know, um, you know, and other times it's like, uh, depending on where I've, where I've coached before, it's often been at a sports complex. And so it'll be like the other parents will drop off their kids and then I'll go work out together afterwards. And I'm like, bye. Yeah. Like, oh, bye. Bye. Not sure well, if I, I think really want to do it, but like, it, it's just sort of thinking of yeah. like when coach now I'm three times a week, four times a week before it was like five nights a week, I would coach. Um, you know, it, it, it also makes it hard. And then it's like, get up earlier in the morning. And I'm like, no, no I'm not going to do that. I'm yeah. absolutely not going to do that. And most of us are <laughs> not going to do that. Like, so you're describing one of the barriers, another barrier to like a movement practice. And that is, that is boring. Yeah. Right. So swimming yeah. by yourself is boring. There are lots of activities that I like to do um, by myself. I like to go for bike rides that I call putt putts and putt putts are like pretty much I can run faster than my putt putt pace. But the goal is to sit upright, feel the wind in my hair and look at the dandelions as mm. I go past them. It's about mm -hmm. consciously relaxing without really getting my heart rate up so high that I'm gulping for yeah. air or that my yeah. legs hurt. Right. That's my putt, butt. um, and sometimes I want it to be perfectly quiet, um, when I'm doing that. So I can just, um, decompress, but I was talking about this with my running coach that my, um, long runs have been getting kind of like worse and worse. <laughs> and then once Tom came with me, but he rode his bicycle beside me while I was doing my long run. And I had like one of my fastest times, um, and the lowest perceived effort I'd had in a long time. And I was like, do you know what, Julie, I think I'm bored. Right. I think that my athletic performance is suffering because to run 18 kilometers by myself um, with nobody to talk to, even if it's just a bunch of podcasts, I'm listening to them, but like at a certain point, yeah. like I got, I got bored. And as I got mm -hmm. bored, I felt sore. And as I felt sore, I felt tired and I slowed down. And the more I slowed down, the longer it took and the more boring it got, but somehow just having you know, my husband, like he's my support crew. He's got a water bottle <laughs> and he's like, just cause he'd already done his run. So, yeah. but he's like, well, I'll go with you and you can go whatever pace you want. I'll just like ride the bicycle beside you. And it was the novelty of having him there, um, made my body not become tired. Right. So there is this yeah. kind of like mind body connection that for some of us, you know, uh, sport activities or doing yoga or punching the heavy bag, like we're just neurologically not suited to it because we either get overly anxious from the amount of noise and stress and sociability, or we get too bored from yeah. the lack of those things. And it feels like our bodies are not working, but again, it's the ADHD brain sort of undermining our sportsing goals because our yeah. brains are either overstimulated 
or understimulated. So I would say like to people, uh, you know, trying to think about incorporating more movement um, into their lives as part of their sort of therapy or part of their wellness agenda or their happiness agenda or whatever it happens to be their post-pandemic re-entry agenda is to say like, you know, um, doing stuff on a team for Lee where there's like lots of chit chat and busyness and constant change of activity is really good for Lee. And that's the kind of activity that Lee enjoys doing uh, and finds suitably stimulating. Um, and I can't, I want, yeah. I want, yeah. I want to do rhythmic routines where nobody's going to touch me, where I don't have to change my pace, where it's going to be almost the same thing um, every time, but I can listen to a podcast or talk to, to one person. So, you know, some of us really like um, to do yoga because it's slow and it's meditative and others of us want to just peel our own skin off with nail scissors because it is so excruciating <laughs> to hold a pose oh, that's God. slightly uncomfortable for six entire seconds and not talk yeah. to people for an entire hour is just like, no, you want to be on a curling team so you can yell at everybody while yeah. you're sliding like up and down the ice, right? Like the it's the most okay. Canadian reference ever for all of Thank our American you. listeners or international listeners. Curling is, uh, well, anyways, the you greatest put it in your sport. Show notes and it, yeah, it is. It's so Canadian. It is related though. to shuffleboard. Lee, yeah. do you know what? I actually looked up the history of curling the other day. I don't oh, remember really? why. Oh yes, because I was talking about the ice surface because my husband was like, blah, 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 the Zamboni. I'm like, you don't Zamboni the curling rink. It has no, to be pebble. how are you going to control the curl of the rock? I'm like, it's yeah. about the friction yeah, of you the rock. And, that's how yeah. the and he was like, what the hell are you talking about? So I <laughs> looked up <laughs> history of curling because that's who I am. And that's why it's, it's top of mind, right? Yeah. So um, there's nothing wrong with your body if you find that you can't play sports ball on a team because you want to murder everybody, including yourself, it might just be your brain is not ready for that kind of activity, right? Yeah. Um, if you find doing yoga does not make you feel calm, it makes you feel incredibly agitated, don't try harder, right? Maybe yoga is not the activity for you. It's okay to try to find uh, a movement practice that makes your brain feel happy, right? Why yeah. not? Like, why do we have to be yeah. miserable when we're exercising? We don't. Oh, yeah. And that concludes uh, part one of our conversation around exercise and movement. Seems like a good place to start uh, or end at the very least and pick up again next week about uh, choosing what makes you feel good and not what people tell you should feel good or not what um, you think should make you feel good, but what actually makes you feel good. Next week, we will continue on that conversation and uh, we hope that you join us next week. I am, as always, ready writing on Twitter. Amy is Digiwonk on Twitter. You can always email us at allthethingsadhd at gmail.com or visit and comment on our website, allthethingsadhd.com. Did I say the email address? I don't think I said it right. Allthethingsadhd at gmail.com. All right. I don't know if I got that right. I'll see that in the transcript. So have a great day. Um, you know, Get out there and move in a way that makes you feel good. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.